Welcome to The Point. I'm Mindy Todd. Today, the role emotions play in our decision-making and the benefits of mindfulness. Joining us, psychiatrist Mark Whaley, psychiatrist Jonathan Swartz, and social worker Jenny Putnam. Good morning to you all. Good morning. Good morning. So no doubt these are chaotic and unsettling times um, when emotions can be all over the place. And I think many believe that we make decisions based on the facts we have, right? But maybe not so much. No, that's really a delusion uh, that more or less that we have that uh, uh, rationalizes the way we decide. Actually, the brain is uh, wired in such a way that everything that comes into the uh, awareness of the individual is first processed in emotional areas uh, of the brain. And that's done unconsciously, out of, out of awareness. And everything that comes in is given a, a one of two um, uh, tags, either uh, avoidance, in other words, threatening, uh, or um, safe, otherwise joint. Uh, uh, so um, that is then processed uh, whatever, so whatever is processed in the thinking, whatever you become aware of, already is characterized, already is biased, um, and um, uh, it makes sense in terms of evolution uh, because the uh, whole purpose of evolution, uh, everything that happens in it with the various changes, is meant toward one thing, is meant to achieve one thing, and that is survival. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, you want to know uh, where the threats are. You want to know what is coming uh, before they happen. Uh, and we do. Um, we do by feeling, uh, not by thinking. Um, uh, so um, uh, we're already, uh, when our threat system is stimulated by something uh, in the content of what uh, we're taking in at the time, uh, if that happens, we're much more likely to gather information that supports it. Um, and uh, the, the feeling is uh, enhanced uh, so that um, uh, things like rationality are blocked because if you're under a, a sense of threat, you can't think things out with facts and pros and cons. And, uh, you know, that, that that's, uh, has all gone by the wayside. Uh, instead, we're reactive. We're reactive because uh, we, we've been tuned, so to speak, um, shaped in order to uh, survive. Uh, and that, um, so we can't get around that, no. um, uh, thankfully, actually. So, so what you're saying is we feel before we think. That's a, a simple a way to put of, it, yeah. Yeah, to put, give a kind of extreme example, I had one panic attack once in my life. It was terrible. I really feel for people who have panic attacks regularly. Um, and my parents were on a trip to Europe and I absolutely was sure because my panic was so high that I just knew that their plane had crashed. And I was a, an adult. I was, a, you know, I was in psychology. I knew this was ridiculous. I sat on my bed and I kept saying to myself, this isn't true. This isn't true. But I could barely convince myself. Eventually it passed. They're fine. <laughs> but um, even in that, when I had no evidence to say it was true, I created these sort of fantastical stories in my mind mm -hmm. to say, I somehow knew, you know, we've all heard stories about people saying, oh, I knew they were dead or right. I knew they were alive, right? Sure. Um, and so that's sort of an extreme example of how when your nervous system is turned on, it's very, very difficult, regardless of how well-trained you are, of how, 
good you are at calming yourself down, sometimes it's just really hard to take in real information and make a real a real right. decision. Instead, you developed a conspiracy theory, more or less, uh, uh, that uh, was very convincing. Uh, I did, yeah. Uh, yeah sort yeah. of weird, I don't know, parapsychological conspiracy <laughs> theory in my panic attack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very powerful. Yeah, it sort of explains why, you know, we often see political ads playing off of people's fear, right? And and that fear is sort of manipulating us, right? And and this is why it works, right? It gets our emotions going and it gets going, oh, that can't happen or that can happen. Um, and it, that's not just, I guess, political ads. It's true of advertising in general, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Right. By the way, Republicans, uh, if we talk about politics, are much better at it than Democrats. Uh, Democrat, uh, Democratic messages are more characterized uh, by uh, uh, processing by cognitive means, uh, facts, and uh, evaluating uh, what uh, this statement is based on or the claim is based on. Um, and uh, whereas Republican uh, claims aren't, uh, they're based much more on threat. Um, uh, and uh, so they get your attention first. And uh, if you're subject to um, uh, uh, feeling that without trying to examine it, uh, you're going to be a Trump fan, uh, for instance. Um uh, I mean, that makes you vulnerable to, to uh, uh, his message uh, and uh, the various conspiracy theories that uh, grow out of it. Mm. So, so what, Mark, what you were explaining is kind of that whole like fight or flight kind of mode that our brain gets into, right? So right. Can, can we, where, where can we stop and make a rational decision then? At what point? How do we, we have to wait till we get past that feeling part? When does the, the rational part come in? Well, like Jenny just described, uh, it varies. Uh, and uh, even though she's a mental health practitioner and knows all the uh, uh, the signs, so to speak, or the symptoms, whatever, uh, you still are subject to the feeling being overwhelming. Because once that gets, once that fear um, gets stimulated, um, fear is the most important emotion, really, because that's what dictates our. Uh, behaviors and our distinct uh, and our decisions, and it makes sense that it should be that way uh, because without fear, you really are in danger. Uh, so, and as usual, I'm going to a little bit. I'm going to agree and a little bit disagree with you, Mark, because I think safety is the feeling of safety is equally important. Without a sense of safety, we can't eat or digest or reproduce or. And so, as you started to say, you have this avoid or approach. Right. based on your initial reaction to something. And you need to get to that point of approach so that you can approach the information, take it in, digest it, mm -hmm. and really understand what's going on. And so I, I think we all sort of can acknowledge that Republicans are better at creating a sense of fear. Oh my God, they're going to steal all your guns. You're going to be unsafe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah the the Taliban is coming in through the Mexican border, like all that kind of thing that makes us feel like, oh my God, we're not safe, we're not safe, we're not safe. Right. But um, I think Democrats also, I sometimes have to stop and think, um, am I in peril? Am I in peril from this or that or the other thing? Um, are all my rights going to be taken away? Maybe. <laughs> and well, that, that's the best, I think that that's the message we can leave people with is what we need to do is be mindful about how our brain is right. working mm -hmm. and um, stop and think it through uh, because there's 
uh, it's been described how there's two methods of thinking, um, fast and slow. The fear, the emotional method is fast. Uh, you, you, you take in information and you react and the reaction then guides uh, what you do and how, even how you think about um, uh, or perceive uh, what's out there. Um, uh, but the slow, mo the slow mode of thinking is uh, much more effort and much more energy consuming um, uh, and is uh, hard to do. Um, so the uh, instead what uh, humans rely on is what's called heuristics, uh, which are just shortcuts um, uh, that uh, get you to a conclusion uh, without having to weigh the pros and cons of, of uh, what the decision is. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, one of the shortcuts in the political season is just identity with the party, uh, social identity, uh, tribe identity. Um, uh, so then you can take in information and uh, have it reinforce your emotional need to belong, to feel safe in a, in a group um, of like-minded people. Uh, so there you have uh, um, uh, people screaming and cheering at, at Trump's garbage. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so um, uh, you have, if we can leave people with a, a message is stop and think, uh, even though it, it, it's effort, effortful. Yeah. Um, that's why they say sleep on it, right? Sleep on it before you make sleep it. Sleep on it. That's yeah, a good yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Jonathan, what are your thoughts on all this? Well, I was just thinking about the news, which I haven't watched for a few years, but um, uh, the, the the presentation of news on the, t on the television, at least, has really become um, a contest for who can stir up people's emotions the, the quickest and the most dramatically. And if you're a journalist or a, a news anchor or an editor or producer of news, you want to get as much, as many eyeballs as possible. That's your, that's your job. So you could boost advertising revenues. Mm -hmm. And the way that you do that is to lean on the emotional side, not on the cognitive side. That's right. We can probably mostly agree that PBS news is uh, more cognitively oriented and mm -hmm. more thoughtful and less sensationalistic. Yeah. And yet, the percentage of people who would choose to learn about news on PBS is certainly small compared to Fox or MSNBC or what, what you know, any other mm -hmm. network. And I think it's useful to appreciate how, how news outlets um, do, um, you know, to try to take advantage of how our, our brains work in order to grab our attention. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, you know, yeah. the, uh, head of Fox was accidentally honest in a deposition um, uh, when they were sued for something. Um, and he said, it's all about the greenbacks. Uh, it's all about the money. Um, that's why we, yeah. we put uh, false things on the news. And it you didn't, uh, didn't and, used to be that way. That's the thing. I mean, it, when TV news started, if you remember back when oh, you know, yeah. had Walter Cronkite, and at some point they decided news was going to go into the entertainment division rather than the you know public affairs, if you will. Right. Now ratings right. mattered where ratings didn't matter before. And I think right. for PBS, ratings aren't as important. They're important, but they're not as important as they are with commercial TV, right? So, and you know, when I used to work in TV, it was a long time, and it's changed a lot since I was in TV, but you know, people would complain about, oh, it's always bad news. You never do. Then you'd have these segments, oh, we're going to do some good news. You don't get ratings with good news. 
right? Yeah. 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 That's so, fluff. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. maybe that's another segment we need to do is how come we're so drawn to the sensation? Right. Box. Right. Why? Uh, yeah. But you know, I think that when you're when we're thinking about if, if we're saying let's all slow down and think, and we're thinking about PBS News versus MSNBC or Fox or whatever, listen to the tone that people present news. So you can say, um, as we just heard, the Supreme Court is looking at this downwind law by neighbors, or you can say, the Supreme Court is going to take away <laughs> all of the rights of the deaf, or the Supreme Court is going to decide to destroy industry by, you know, there's yeah. a different way it can be presented. Right. And sure. if you just listen to the tone of voice, and the faster they're talking, the higher they're talking, the angrier they sound, the less likely they're trying to appeal to your intellect. Right. Yeah. That's right. You know, Mark, and some of the information you sent out, I, I, this stood out to me, and this was uh, something from the Colbert Report. A lot of people know the satirical mock news show on Comedy Central. Um, Truthiness refers to the quality of preferring concepts or facts one wishes or believes to be true rather than concepts or facts known to be true. It's like perception has become reality for some. That's right. Truthiness. I loved that. Truthiness. About yeah. <laughs> it has the ring of truthiness. <laughs> and it, you know, it's like scientific. It's not scientific. <laughs> scientific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you can say Trump has uh, uh, served us by um, uh, teaching us uh, about how vulnerable we are uh, and how we can be easily led down the uh, down the lane of destruction. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, we need to uh, wake up, really. 866-999-4626 is our number if you'd like to join our conversation this morning. That's 866-999-4626. Our email address is thepoint at capeandislands.org. We'll talk more after a quick break. You're listening to The Point. We're talking about the role emotions play in our decision-making and the benefits of mindfulness with psychiatrist Mark Whaley, psychiatrist Jonathan Schwartz, and social worker Jenny Putnam. 866-999-4626 is our number. That's 866-999-4626. Our email address, thepoint at capeandislands.org. So one of the tools we have to help us in all of this slow down is mindfulness, right? So who wants to explain what mindfulness is? Oh, I think Mark should, since he did the, uh, the <laughs> did research. Go us. ahead, Mark. I, I, I was mindful to do research. Um, uh, at any rate, um, uh, we, we had uh, Dr., uh, I think he's a doctor, John Kabat-Zinn on uh, our show, if you remember, mm -hmm. yep. uh, well, several that, months yeah. ago. And he really um, obviously was excellent because he's been a recognized uh, um, leader in this field. At any rate, uh, mindfulness uh, actually draws on um, what the Buddhists uh, uh, preached and, and um, uh, introduced to humanity, uh, what was it, 5,000 years ago, perhaps. And um, what that means is usually our minds are on a train, like a train, um, uh, moving um, uh, by, or you know, we're watching a, a movie go by, and uh, it's a constant uh, stream. Um, and usually the stream is, uh, looking toward the future, uh, because we, we don't want, we want to be prepared, um, again, because of the evolutionary pressure, uh, for something happening that's, that's going to be threatening. Um, so naturally, you, you uh, have a, uh, a stream of mind uh, that goes uh, toward the future. Um, and one of the things that uh, really is threatening 
uh, about the future is the uncertainty. Um, uh, uncertainty really drives um, humans crazy um, uh, because you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and you're constantly looking for some clues that you can uh, prepare yourself for it again uh, to keep safe um, uh, as the uh, uh, overriding principle. Um, and that's how, again, that's how we're wired. So what mindfulness is, is um, stopping the train momentarily, temporarily. Um, and uh, that means um, the person uh, who, who's practicing it, say, in a formal um, attempt or formal effort uh, to be mindful and practice it in, in, along with meditation or as part of uh, a kind of meditation. Um, uh, 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 is trying to get into a mental state where the train doesn't matter. Um, you know, the usual um, uh, train of thought doesn't matter. And really, you just want to be in the present moment. Have your senses take in what you're um, uh, uh, either trying to focus on. Frequently, it's the breath. Um, uh, but just uh, uh, stop, uh, you know, get off the train and just look at the uh, surroundings and, and just take note of it without judgment. Uh, and also without judging yourself for drifting off, uh, you know, getting back on the train because that's purely natural. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so um, instead, you just notice that. Uh, and um, uh, accept it uh, without, again, uh, judging yourself uh, and, um, uh, you know, grading yourself on how you're doing, uh, right. for instance. Um, but just accept it. Uh, accept what your experience is in that moment. Um, and, um, uh, you know, one of the things you can ask yourself if you're particularly worried about something is, right at this moment, what do I have to be worried about? Yeah. Am I safe right now? Uh, and you know, 99.9% .9 of the time you are, uh, if you're uh, making an effort to um, uh, uh, focus on, 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 your, uh, on yourself um, uh, with uh, acceptance. Uh, so it's an exercise in, in uh, uh, getting off the, uh, the, the uh, traveling uh, uh, and steaming ahead uh, thought train. And so, I know there's a difference between mindfulness and meditation, and we can talk about that in a second, but mm -hmm. even, you know, you think, oh, how do I be mindful? A lot of people don't even maybe realize it. Go for a walk on the beach, or you go for a walk there in the go. woods, and you're in nature, and it's sort of, you feel that sort of meditative quality, and it's because you're like, in the moment, you're noticing, the, you know, leaves on the tree, or what's sprouting, and um, and that's sort of a mindfulness moment. You, you mentioned, Mark, that we're always kind of looking ahead. I feel like we're either looking ahead, or we're looking or, back, right? Nostalgia, right. like the good old days. Oh, I wish we could go back to the good old days. And I or often... not even necessarily, though. It could be the horrible, bad old days are going to come again. Yeah. For yeah. some people. Right, right. right. But I'm right, thinking, ahead, when man. I'm thinking about that, like the good old days, I think about that a lot now in the present moment where I think, you know what? This is the good old days right here. Because like 10 years from now, I'm going to go, hey, I wish I could go back to the good old days. So I try to think... Like, oh, like, well, you know, relationship, I have friends, whatever, try to enjoy this moment because I know there's going to come a time where I'm like, I wish I could come back to this moment, right? So in a way, I guess that's a little bit of mindfulness. I don't know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Jonathan, I know you, I would say, Jonathan, I know you meditate, so maybe you can explain yeah. the difference between what mindfulness versus meditation, what's, you know, what's the difference between the two? Well, uh, 
you know, uh, honestly, I, I don't. I don't currently have a meditation practice except for when I'm getting acupuncture, and <laughs> and I do meditate when I'm getting acupuncture, which I find really wonderful. But I did it certainly in the past, and and it's something that I really need to get back to uh, for sure. Um, but um, what is the difference between mindfulness and meditation? You know, uh, I'm not really sure I can answer that question. Um, uh, satisfactorily, but I, I don't think it's possible to meditate without being mindful. I mean, they're really sort of different words that are describing, one is describing, um, there's so many different kinds, there's so many different kinds of meditation, right? right. Um, me, all, all different kinds of procedures and some people, um, you know, join societies and they wear special clothing and they have mantras or uh, other tricks or, or strategies for getting into a meditative state to be mindful um is um what is it to be mindful to be mindful really is to uh, be here now uh to, to put it succinctly to be in the present and not to be anywhere else to be <clears throat> conscious of uh, where you are uh, i don't mean that in the literal sense but in the figurative sense um uh, help me out here, staff, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> Mark and Jenny. That, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that being mindful sounds, on the one hand, more simple and in, in another sense sort of too far away for a lot of people. So I often in my office will have people either um, like take an almond, put it in their mouth, notice the texture of the almond, notice the salt or non-salt, don't crunch it yet, now crunch it, notice the burst of flavor. So that in that moment, you are really noticing what is going on in and with your body. And right. often when they do that, they're surprised by how much calmer they feel. Because I have people in my office and I say, okay, just notice where you are right now. You're safe. And they're like, but I'm not safe because this happened in the past and it could happen in the future. Or this is about to happen. I know it is. Okay. So I then I make, I go smaller and smaller units until you're really just feel your feet just for for a millisecond feel your feet on the ground that's mindfulness right mm -hmm. taste your coffee and just really taste it that's mindfulness don't just chug it down as i do every morning <laughs> really take a minute and notice it and so you know you're grounding your experience in your body which is what we do anyway, but we don't notice how anxious we are. Right. So you have to really, when you say I'm safe, as as I think both Jonathan and Mark mentioned, you have to compete with, am I safe? Yes, you're safe right now in this moment, right now in your car or in your kitchen or wherever you're listening to this, you are safe just right this moment. And just notice that and take it in. Okay. And that you have to practice this over and over again. And once you get good at it, you can calm yourself down fairly quickly. But at first, it's really hard to do. Yeah. You know, yeah, you mentioned sure. the coffee. And, and I was thinking years ago, I went to this retreat. And it was kind of like a, uh, I don't know if it was a meditation. I can't remember how to describe it. But, you know, everybody's talking. We're doing, we're going to have lunch. And we sit down. And the woman running, it says, all right, we are going to eat in silence. And I want you to th taste what you're eating. And I was like, 
well, we, we can't talk, right? But, yeah. <laughs> but I, and then it was like, we're going to do that. And then we're going to wander the grounds and we're not allowed to talk until we all come back as a group. I was amazed how delicious my lunch was when you really focused on uh, it. Like you were saying with the uh, almond, yeah. it was really yeah. a very different experience, right? Because you're well, really other, focused on that moment. Right. The other thing that happens when you do that, when you're eating is you notice when you're full. Yes. So I have a tendency to binge eat potato chips. And so now I will only eat potato chips mindfully. And what I find is even those small bags are more than I need. I want to have just like half of that. And then it's- No, something. they're not. You need the big bag. <laughs> I definitely want the big bag. At, at some point, the, the taste in the mouth is more like cardboard and less like delicious saltiness. The crunch is still, you know, irreplaceable. But, you know, if you slow down and pay attention, your body will tell you when you're full. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so a lot of nutritionists now are using that as a way to help people who are on one end or the other of the eating disorder spectrum to really take in the nutrients that they need. Yeah. Well, you know, we're talking around something and haven't mentioned uh uh, what it is exactly. And that is all feelings are based in your body mm -hmm. or based yeah. in bodily function and bodily sensations. Right. That's where they come from. They don't come from your thinking brain. Um, uh, they, they, the, uh, all the organs in your body send signals up to the brain again, that are um, uh, uh, processed without, without any awareness um, in order to keep the, the body in working shape, keep it in equilibrium. Um, so that if the uh, uh, the gut is having a tough a tough time, um, it's going to send some messages up to the brain, uh, and you're going to feel uneasy, queasy. Um, uh, so, uh, and that will that will influence your your that's the feeling, mm -hmm. uh, and that will influence your decisions at that moment. But uh, when we talk about feelings, we're really talking about uh, sensations that are processed in the brain about the state of the body uh, or a state of certain uh, mm -hmm. measurements, even uh, say the acidity of the blood or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we, so. we actually, chronic pain is at an all time high uh, reports yeah. of chronic pain. And I just read a book called the way out, which is about chronic pain. That is, Oh, I can't think of the word. Maybe one of you guys can help me out, but neurogenic or anyway, it means neurogenic, yeah. mm -hmm. it basically means psychosomatic, which I don't want to say is not real pain because it's still real felt yeah. pain. Um, and, and mindfulness seems to be the answer for that in many ways as well, that you notice your pain and notice that you're safe. Mm -hmm. So you're saying to your brain, there's a great story about a guy, who, this, I hope people aren't queasy, he falls, he's a construction worker, he steps on a nail, the nail goes through his boot, he's screaming, horrible pain, take him to the hospital, turns out the nail went between his toes, oh. there was no damage done, but he felt the pain because his brain told him he was in pain. Mm -hmm. So when you can notice your pain, but also say, but I'm safe. I'm safe. And practice that over and over again. Here I am. I'm in this room. I'm okay. In this moment, it can really ease that physical pain. So mindlessness, I mean, mind mindlessness, <laughs> mindfulness, yeah. 
is a powerful, powerful tool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I got a couple emails on going back to when we talked about sensationalism. Uh, Carol in West Yarmouth writes, I get very tired of how the weather reports are presented when a storm is approaching. The weather mm-hmm. people always are yelling and making it sound like the end of the world is near. Yeah. <laughs> Carol, yeah. thanks for that. And Sean writes, these experts criticizing sensationalism in the news regarding one's mind really need to try and leave their political biases aside. Yeah, we get it. You don't <laughs> like Trump. Get on with the message, please, because it's truly interesting. I'm sure. 866-999-4626 is our number. Our email address, thepoint at capeandislands.org. Um, so, Mark, talk up a little bit about what is actually happening in our brain with, with mindfulness. I mean, we're activating lots of different parts of the brain, right? And, and the big, that's, I guess one right. of the big things here is we keep saying without judgment, why that's important. Right. Sure. Um, uh Yes, we're uh, affecting different things in the brain. And if you have a practice like John, uh, I mean, uh, like, um, um, just blocked on your name, <laughs> Jonathan uh, mentioned. Um, uh, if you have a, a regular practice like that, you actually change parts of the brain in terms of their volume. In other words, the, the number of cells, the number of connections in those parts of the brain. Uh, and most of the parts are uh, that you... Uh, increase the number of, uh, act, or increase the activity of those parts, and they all are for, uh, serve your health, um, uh, the, the parts of the brain. I, mean, I can mention them, but uh, uh, you know, to, to people, they, they just sound like fancy names, um, but they're not. They refer to particular parts of the brain that are involved in um, uh, um, different uh, functions like learning, uh, like uh, um, uh, uh, a judgment, um, uh, uh, weighing things, um, uh, and also essential functions like sleep and, and uh, uh, processing sensory inputs, um, and also empathy and compassion. Um, uh, and then there's one part of the brain, the amygdala, um, which is where uh, fear is uh, uh, processed. And it turns out the evidence shows that if you have a uh, a regular meditation practice that shrinks. Mm. Uh, so in other words, you have less uh, neurological um, uh, processing power uh, regarding fear. Uh, in, uh, uh, if you uh, engage in this uh, practice. Um, so, um, and it can even uh, happen if you took a crash course in, in mindfulness meditation uh, lasting a couple of months or so. So, um, uh, you're doing your brain a favor, uh, whereas you're not doing your brain a favor when you're stuck in um, threat uh, and danger and don't uh, uh, at least have a uh, uh, a moment where you're free of it. Right. Um, and that's what mindfulness uh, you know gives you uh, provides. So um, what's going on in the brain is uh, is very important, but most of it is for your interest. And most of it, you 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 jump at taking a pill or a diet that could achieve it. Achieve it, um, and there isn't really anything that works magic like that. Uh, what does work magic uh, is uh, uh, practicing mindfulness, yeah. um, and it is an effort uh, uh, to do that. That's right. why you give up on it. Yeah. And yeah, it can be do I and same thing, Jonathan. I used to meditate. It's been a long time and the same thing. You think you should get back there because I remember in this time in my life when I did meditate daily, um, much calmer, things happen in your life that you know you would react to, they'd be like, Oh my God. 
Not at all. It's like it, it, it's right. uh, it's it's hard to describe if you've never done it, but it it really is amazing that you can your your behavior or reaction to things can change so dramatically. Really, right? Yep. Um, right. I want to keep advocating for these little micro mindfulness right. moments. Got to stop so, because what all all of us so far we haven't heard about Mark, but are admitting is that we do not have regular meditation mindfulness. But I have mindfulness 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 moments. Moments. <laughs> yeah. And mindfulness moments still add up and they still make a difference. So yeah. I was I I keep telling stories about myself, but I was at the uh doctor's high blood pressure. He said, "Why don't you just breathe for a minute and see if we can get it down?" I went into a little um mindfulness thing that I learned on an app. It went way down my blood pressure, mm. and he. This is this was a, this is a little brag on my part. He <laughs> said, uh, "You are a ninja mindfulness person. <laughs> I do not have a regular practice. I just if I'm waiting at a stoplight, I think it's okay, or at a, not at a stoplight, at a place where there's not a stoplight. I think it's okay if if the traffic's not going to take half an hour. Eventually, I'm going to get in." Right. Here I am. Fine. I'm safe. <laughs> or if I'm drinking my coffee or if I'm in the shower or if I'm washing the dishes in the field, the hot water on my hands. Every now and then I try to take a minute and just notice those things. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so while maybe I'm not as good as you were, Mindy, when you were doing regular I can calm my nervous system down. Right. Yeah. Just from those little micro moments. Right. Yeah. About I, I did have an experience uh, a number of years ago where I went to a retreat for mindfulness meditation, and it was given by Tiktok Han, uh, which is a, uh, wow. yeah. a very well known uh, uh, Buddhist monk uh, who um, uh, uh, was uh, very active for peace during the Vietnam War. Uh, got a lot of publicity about it. At any rate, um, uh, he, he's been a leader. I, I don't. I, I think he has passed away uh, uh, sometime recently, relatively recently. At any rate, um, that was organized around silence. Mm. Uh, you were silent at the meals. You were silent in the walking uh, from one place to another, um, and um, uh, you just had your inner experience to occupy your mind. Uh, it would encourage us to be uh, mindful in the shower. Uh, you know, focus on the sensation of the water hitting your your body, the the temperature, the force of the uh, stream, mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, it, it made uh, a shower much more enjoyable. <laughs> um, uh, to actually be aware of it, usually you're you know you're in and out and uh, yeah. um, just want to get need to get clean, but. Um, uh, as well as when you're eating, you've talked about that. You yeah. know, the chewing, how you uh, how you chew, and and uh, what what it really feels like. Um, and uh, um, so, um, uh, of course, when I left there uh, after a week of this, uh, I was very mellow, uh, and uh, um, uh, and, yeah. and uh, you know, nothing. Uh, uh, I didn't think anything was going to bother me, and I kept up. Kept, yeah. You know, I kept doing it for, for uh, uh, some time. Yeah. Um, See, but, meditation uh, is that magic pill we're looking for, right? <laughs> it is. It's yeah. just so hard to, to, it, yeah. to prioritize it, exactly. right? I mean, yeah. I also right. have done a, a, a meditation and I, I can't even describe how fabulous I felt. I mean, it brings joy to your life when you meditate regularly. Even mindfulness brings more joy to your life. Right. But it's or, so hard to do. It's so hard. I don't know why. Maybe Jonathan, you can tell us why. But it's. 
it's I can so tell you why for me. I mean, it's just you get busy, right? And it's, again, it's yeah. top uh, prioritizing. You know, you should, but, you know, you've got all these other things going on. I don't know. I don't know if that's the same for you, Jonathan. I, I, I think John, John Kabat-Zinn would say that mindfulness doesn't bring joy. It allows you to experience it. Mm. Uh, yeah. You have the joy uh, right there if you pay attention to it. Right. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, uh, ignore the barriers uh, yeah. for, for a temporary period of time. Yeah. 866-999-4626 is our number. Our email address, thepoint at capeandislands.org. We'll talk more after break. If you're listening to The Point. We're talking about the role emotions play in our decision-making and the benefits of mindfulness with psychiatrist Mark Whaley, psychiatrist Jonathan Schwartz, and social worker Jenny Putnam. 866-999-4626 is our number. If you'd like to join our conversation, that's 866-999-4626. Our email address, thepoint at capeandislands.org. So we're, go ahead, Jenny, you want to say something? I, just when you said that just now, it, I was reminded of how many people I've known who make these snap decisions after the death of a loved one, mm. that that's another moment when our emotions kind of take over. And so many people are like, I'm going to sell the house. I'm going to move away. I'm going to get remarried. And they're not, they're trying to avoid feeling the feelings of that are natural in the mourning process. Yeah, and definitely. so instead they make these snap decisions to try and avoid them. And then a year or two later, they regret those decisions mm-hmm. because they were made out of emotion and not out of sort of thinking through what they really needed. That's a really yeah, you talk about point. the uh, origin of pathological grief, um, uh, basically. Uh, uh, the other uh, uh, psychiatric or psychological uh, disorder uh, that I think mindfulness plays can play a, a, a curative role is PT, P, uh, or a managing role, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and um, uh, uh, if uh, uh, and it's very hard with somebody who uh, suffers from it because they're already in a highly activated nervous system, uh, and they uh, uh, really uh, cannot uh, stop this, the thought train because of the the trauma that they've experienced. Don't forget the trauma memory is different than all other memories. Um, it's, it's sort of stored in a different place. It doesn't have time or uh, 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 any any information about time associated with it uh, as something in the past. Uh, it's very much present. Um, and um, uh, so uh, you can see how mindfulness training would be mm-hmm. an exercise in the opposite um, yeah. uh, to, uh, uh, to do. So, uh, uh, so it's hard for somebody with PTSD certainly to um, uh, initiate the practice. Yeah. Uh, but if they get over the hump and do that, they can uh, yeah. uh, be free of a lot of the symptoms. And as you were saying earlier, the feelings in the body, the, the trauma lives in your body, right? So you're, you're oh, reacting yeah. to that trauma, reliving that experience in your body. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Denya's giving us a call. Good morning, Denya. Good morning. I'd like to say something about meditation. Sure. And that is that I have a regular meditation practice but sometimes I don't feel like I have enough time. And I hear my friend Harriet, who said this many years ago, she said, even if you only have five minutes or 10 minutes, take that five minutes or 10 minutes to meditate. We all have five or 10 minutes somewhere. So if you can't get your 20 minutes in, stop at some point during the day and get those few minutes in to gather yourself together. Yeah. 
Good point, Danielle. My my grandmother used to say, you make time for the things that are important to you, right? So I think of that, but then I still don't <laughs> make the time. But um, Danielle, that's a good point. Thank you for the call. Appreciate that. 866-999-4626 is our number. Our email address, thepoint at capeandislands.org. Do we know how long these changes in our brains and behavior are maintained? You know, um, we, we mentioned that you know, some of us used to practice and we don't, I mean, how do you, you know, do we have any idea like how long that you talked about brain changes, Mark, but it obviously it doesn't yeah. s- stick around. I imagine right? there's some research about that uh, uh, in terms of uh, looking at expert meditators uh, practice regularly and then they stop and, and uh, you know, they, they, you'd want to be able to do scans before and after they stopped. Uh, so um, at certain, certain timeframes, um, uh, but I don't know. Yeah, uh, and it might be uh, different frankly. for, yeah, for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I, I would guess that it also depends in part on what your what's going on in your life after you stop meditating, and the, the more the more chaos and stress and upset mm-hmm. there is, the, the quicker that stuff uh, evaporates. Right. Yeah. 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 Your brain is always changing and always adapting, changing in, a, in an adaptive way to what your senses are experiencing at that moment. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, this is slightly off topic, but I think it's of interest that um, I think that uh, historically there's been this sort of notion that people's, that an individual's brain doesn't really change much, that mm-hmm. brain chemistry, you know, whatever it is that you were born with or whatever it is that you acquired is kind of there. And what we've seen in psychiatry uh, is that diagnoses can change. Uh, so, for example, the, a, a great example is a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And people uh, uh, really, uh, in my experience, get frequently uh, mislabeled uh, with bipolar disorder, or they get accurately given the diagnosis of bipolar, but that that diagnosis is not valid 10 years later or 15 years later or 20 years later. And yet uh, in medicine, uh, it seems like a monumental task to eliminate any diagnoses as people go along. Um, Mm -hmm. So for any, all of you out there who think that maybe you have a, you've been given a diagnosis that that doesn't feel like it really fits with who you are. um, You you feel free to challenge Mm -hmm. uh, the legitimacy of it. Yeah. Yeah. A good chance that it, it doesn't fit. Right. Yeah. Or or you could be misdiagnosed. Right. I mean, we hear that a lot, too. Um, So I guess meditation or mindfulness would be a a great habit to create. Right. We have lots of habits that aren't so great. So Mm -hmm. how long does it take to create a habit? And and is there evidence the longer we've engaged with a habit, the longer it will take to break it? I've read all these different things about habit formation. Sometimes I hear two weeks. Sometimes I hear months right so i i don't have a clear sense of that what i do know from my sporadic gym practice (laughs) is that two weeks might be good for starting it but doesn't mean i won't you know then i go on vacation and that kills it and so i don't know if six months is makes it more robust i you know i don't i think my my theory is it takes a lot less time to break a good habit than it does to break a bad habit Yeah. yeah that's right yeah. yeah, if you think about alcoholism, they uh, need to accept the fact that they are an alcoholic for life. Um, so that's uh, a pretty long time, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, we talked a little bit uh, earlier about the news being so depressing. And I think, um, Jonathan, you haven't watched in years. Um, 
so we've mentioned this before. If you're kind of anxious and the news is getting you down, maybe cut back or cut out your news consumption. But I, I also wonder if we could take maybe a lesson here from Mr. Rogers' mother, right, who would say, you know, look for the helpers, especially when you have kids who might be, you know, upset about what's happening in the world, um, looking for helper. And even maybe a step further, being a helper. What are your thoughts on that? Empowering, you know, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. No, it's one of the reasons that, that uh, us three at least uh, got into the mental health field. Um, uh, it, uh, it gives you a sense of empowerment. Um, uh, and um, uh, so it, it's a valid, uh, a valid point. Mm -hmm. I do want to I do want to correct uh, something, Mindy. I, I didn't mean to suggest that people should not be aware of the news and I didn't mean to suggest that I'm I don't pay attention to the news. TV I don't news, watch I the news said. on TV. TV news, yes, I, you're right. I, yeah. I read about four or five newspapers yeah. a day. Yeah. So I, I I do I do stay abreast of developments. <laughs> but I think that the TV lends itself right. to a kind of sensationalism that's harder to uh convey in printed media yeah and That's right. and i do watch tv news and and you, you do you walk away going what the heck is happening to the world right but yeah yeah so but what are your thoughts on on the, the looking for the helpers in a in a well, chaotic time and, yeah. and does that help does that help you feel better i think actually the second thing you said is is stronger being a helper so when you get out there and you do something where you feel like you're making a positive impact on the world, it does boost your chemicals in a good direction. Mm -hmm. So there's evidence, for example, that if you're kind to someone, it makes you care more about them. The more you do for somebody, the more you care about that person. Um, but also just doing good makes you feel good. All of that is about community building that we are programmed to do so that we're safer as little furry mammals. <laughs> and, and so, yes, absolutely being a helper, whether that means volunteering somewhere or uh, driving your grandmother to pick up groceries or holding the door for somebody or buying someone a cup of coffee that you don't know, just those tiny little acts of kindness or those larger acts of kindness make you feel safer and better. Yeah. Also takes the focus off the negative, right? That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it takes the focus off of your negative, That's right? I mean. yeah. So you're yeah. saying, yeah, yeah. So it might be like I'm having a crappy day, but now I'm doing something for someone else. I'm going into my office and I'm listening to somebody else and I'm helping them hopefully be a little bit better. Um and then I feel better because mm -hmm. I'm not focused on my crappy day as much. Yeah. I had a colleague whose whose uh husband died and he didn't stop working through the entire time. It was in the um eighties and his, his husband died of AIDS and he well, it wasn't his husband, obviously, because it was mm -hmm. in the eighties. Um and, but they had they had lived together for many, many years and his the the husband's parents and family would not let him even go in and visit him in the hospital. But he had no so he just worked through the whole thing and it kept his sanity that he could be a therapist helping other people throughout that terrible crisis. And it really, he would not have been able to survive if he had not been able to do that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's both a terrible story that's heart-wrenching, but it's also the story of of resilience and and goodness, really. Mm -hmm. Resilience through goodness. Yeah. So even just a little act of kindness can make us 
feel better in our day. And you don't know what that does for the person that you're kind to. It makes their day better as well, right? So, oh, yeah, sure. For yeah. sure. I mean, think, think about somebody bought you a cup of coffee. It's like, it, you, it's like, yeah. what? That was so nice. <laughs> I remember another time I, I accidentally backed up into a car at Windfall. And it was like an older lady and, and her grandson. They, everybody was fine. It was just a little bump. But I got in my car. So I knew. And some guy in a gigantic truck came over and started screaming at me that I was in the way. Oh, boy. Like, he could have gone around the other way. So I said, you know, I explained what was going on. He goes, well, you could have parked. And I said, you're right. I could have parked. And it was it was like President's Day. I said, happy President's Day. And he <laughs> went, like, in a really calm tone. I don't, I have no idea how I kept my calm. Um, and he went, mm. Happy presents. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you got it. Out of yeah, it. Yeah, uh, Made my day. <laughs> I don't know about his. <laughs> uh, thanks for being with us. Psychiatrist Mark Whaley, psychiatrist Jonathan Schwartz, and social worker Jenny Putnam, as always. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Indy Todd. Thanks for listening. is produced by Amy Vince. The executive producer is Mindy Todd. Production assistance from Jenny Junker and Dan Tridel. Theme music by Benjamin Verdery and William Coulter. Mm-hmm.